The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. We have been looking uh, in our evenings together at the book of Leviticus, and we have been looking at this book uh, principally and primarily in order to see how it points us to the, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Uh, in other words, to understand uh, the riches of God's grace as it was foretold in the Old Covenant period, in order that we might appreciate uh, God's provision in Jesus all the more that this was always God's plan, and this was God's purpose from the beginning. And already in Leviticus, we have been zeroing in on certain topics. You remember the first many chapters were looking at various offerings in the Old Covenant. And each of those offerings was meaning to teach the people certain truths, uh, something about devotion to the Lord, uh, something about consecration, something about uh, enjoying peace and fellowship with God, something about the need of purification, uh, of the problem of sin. Um, and all of these offerings then had a, a, a lesson embedded in them. Uh, through these uh, very physical and visible objects uh, and rituals, the people were learning how to relate with a holy and living God. We also looked then at the topic of the priesthood, that the people needed one to represent them uh, before God. One could come into the presence of God before a holy God and be accepted. Uh, one who could offer sacrifices on their behalf and one who could communicate God's blessing for them. But last time we uh, noted that we're turning now to a new section in Leviticus. Uh, sometimes this section is called the purity laws. Uh, these purity laws were really teaching the people about uh, holiness and how to live uh, uh, under the Old Covenant period. And central to this whole uh, topic of the holiness code is distinguishing between three different states. The first state, uh, we could say, is the state of holiness. Uh, that is something that is consecrated. It is set apart. 
and uh, belongs to the Lord is, and is used for the Lord's purposes. That could refer to a person, but also to objects or even places. A second uh, status or another way of talking uh, instead of holiness is to talk about something as being common. Uh, it is not uh, dedicated to the Lord in the same way. Uh, the people of Israel uh, were not in the same position as the priests uh, in that sense. But the common status could be further divided between clean and unclean. And so you have these three uh, states or these uh, three different categories of holy, of clean, and of unclean. And that helped the people. It was meant to teach the people about the need of being clean in order to, tra uh, to cross that boundary uh, into the holy. Uh, that, that there was a, a barrier that existed uh, that prevented uh, anything unclean from coming into the presence of God. And so even in the, the, the physical layout of the tabernacle, uh, you have those, those three areas. You have the, the courtyard, you have the, the holy place, and then you have the most holy place. The closer one gets to the presence of God, uh, the more holy, the more pure one had to be. And all of this was being uh, something that was teaching the people about holiness. You remember last time we looked at Leviticus 15 where it says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So they were to be set apart from all defilement, from all uncleanness, in order to be able to come into the palace of their king. So you have the holy, you have the clean, and you have the unclean. Well, uh, last time we looked at the dietary laws, the, the food items that the people uh, were allowed to eat, but certain foods were deemed unclean and other foods were deemed clean. Uh, they were allowed to be eaten. And so there was this uh, differentiation that was made that was to uh, shape the way that they uh, lived their lives. But uh, this evening, uh, as we mentioned, we wanna look at Leviticus chapter 12 but Leviticus 12 and Leviticus 15 focus on addressing uncleanness that comes upon a person. Uh, both of these chapters are dealing with uncleanness that results from bodily fluids. Uh, whereas Leviticus 13 and 14 deal with uncleanness uh, that comes from various skin diseases. Uh, so, in Leviticus 11, it was dealing with this idea of avoiding uncleanness. Uh, we need to uh, avoid unclean foods. We need to uh, make every effort not to be contaminating ourselves or defiling ourselves by something that is impure. But now we're looking at a slightly different topic. We're looking at how the people have to address uncleanness that is really something that comes upon them. Uh, it is something that is uh, uh, part of their experience and something that they must face. And so uh, here as we're looking at uh, these chapters, uh, it highlights that uncleanness is something that must be addressed uh, in our lives. What do we take from all of this? Uh, Andrew Bonar uh, makes this point. He highlights that our uncleanness may be something that is kept secret from others but still it is something known by the Lord. 
Uh, a person uh, may have uh, things that are unknown to others, uh, bodily fluids, uh, different conditions that they're uh, dealing with that other people don't know of. Uh, but while other people may not see them, uh, they nevertheless are to recognize that God is a God who knows them and sees them. Uh, and so impurity is something that goes beyond simply social norms. It goes beyond simply how other people see us. That it's really getting down to the idea of, am I pure from the, from the inward out? Uh, am I pure even from uh, in areas where other people may not see and so this evening we want to see uh, that principle as it's played out in, uh, uh, with the respect of childbirth. This evening we want to look at how a mother was deemed unclean after giving birth and how that was to be addressed. And we want to see that because the Lord has graciously provided a way of being cleansed, uh, we can be restored uh, to fellowship with God. We want to look at this uh, perhaps... Uh, somewhat strange or uh, uh, unexpected chapter and we want to look at it in two thoughts. We want to think about the diagnosis of her uncleanness and then we want to think about the cleansing of her uncleanness. Well first we want to think about the diagnosis of her uh, uncleanness or of her impurity. When you think about uh, a couple, when, when you think about uh, a, a mother and a father that have a child, a, a new baby is born, it is a joyous occasion. It is a time of excitement for family and friends. They will surround them uh, with joy and happiness. There will be turns uh, holding the baby. There will be lots of comments about how adorable the baby looks. There will be comments about who the baby looks like. Uh, it is a, a happy time when a baby is born into this world. So it might sound rather jarring to read, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. That may be particularly confusing when we bear in mind that when a mother gives birth to a child, that is actually something that is in accordance with God's command. You remember in the beginning that God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so giving birth to a child is a good thing. It is something to be celebrated. Uh, bringing new birth into this world is not something dirty or something contaminated. There's, there's nothing wrong uh, with uh, having children. The psalmist says in Psalm 127 that children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So then why is this woman who has done what we would say a good thing, someone who has brought new life into this world in accordance with God's command, now being considered unclean? Leviticus really only gives us a partial answer to that question. Uh, it says there in verse 2 that she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. In fact, that's the point that it makes repeatedly in this chapter. It says it in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, and in verse 6. It is the flow of blood that makes her unclean or unfit to come into the presence of God. The reason why she's deemed unclean in a ceremonial sense is not because of any moral sin on her part. Uh, she is deemed unclean 
because central to the understanding of the difference between clean and unclean is uh, the contrast between life and death. That the difference is one of being in a state of wholeness, we might say, and being in an abnormal state. And that's what uh, is being highlighted in these chapters. The, uh, the emission of these bodily fluids, the blockage of bodily fluids, all of these things are highlighting an abnormal state and something that renders one unclean. But here, as it's relating to pregnancy, uh, childbirth and post-pregnancy both bring a lot of changes to the female's body. Uh, there is a lot, uh, there is always a degree of danger associated with childbirth. But that danger would have been even higher in the ancient world, where the mortality rates would have been much higher. So while childbirth involves new life, it is also tinged, we might say, with death. It's tinged with death because of the association with the flow of blood and with the abnormality of her physical condition. Anything that was associated with death was deemed unclean and therefore unfit to come into God's presence. So it's important that as we look at this, this whole scenario, it's not a cultural taboo. Uh, it's not looking down on uh, uh, giving birth. It's not trying to say anything uh, negative about uh, motherhood. Uh, rather, it is communicating the idea of clean and unclean against the backdrop of life and death, of wholeness, and something abnormal. It's highlighting that God is a God who is the fountain of life, and that those who come into his presence should be associated with life, whereas the flow of blood uh, is something that is, uh, is associated with death. It is something that is uh, an abnormal condition and therefore should not be associated or coming into God's presence. So the people were to learn something through this, that impurity, uncleanness, is not just something that they're to avoid. Uh, the Israelites aren't to just simply go around their, their life trying to avoid what they see as uh, potential dangers around them. But the Israelites are to learn that Inevitably, we are people that have to address uncleanness. That uncleanness is not just around us that we have to watch out for. Don't touch those unclean animals. But they also have to realize that uncleanness is part of their own experience. It is part of their life. And so even when it comes to something as routine, something as ordinary as uh, the birth of a child, something joyous and life-giving, it is still associated with defilement. It is still something that reminds them, we might say, of death. Remember Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. It says, you remember uh, uh, that when uh, they sinned, uh, the curse did not remove the ability to bear children but the pronouncement that it would involve pain and eventually death. Adam and Eve were still able to bring forth children into this world, but what would happen now is, is that the bringing of children into this world would be associated with eventually their death. And so we have this, this reminder that new life is something that brings hope. Uh, uh, it brings promise. It, it is a reminder 
of the promise that was given to Abraham, that in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so when a male child was being born, there was this reminder of, of the promises of God that the line of Abraham would bring a blessing to the nations. Uh, the offspring, the Messiah, would come. But it was also a reminder of sin. That, that ultimately life ends in death. That the flow of blood reminds us that, sin, that life itself has been affected by the curse of sin. And so we have these two things associated uh, even in new life, in, in the birth of a child. So even in the birth of a child, there is a reminder of our defilement, which stands as a barrier from coming into God's presence. Isn't that what David says in Psalm 51? Uh, that he was brought forth in iniquity. Uh, that, that, that even from our first beginning, uh, life is still associated uh, with death and impurity. And so in the midst of life, we are reminded of the reality of sin, of the curse of death, and the need to respond to the diagnosis of scripture. An Israelite living in the old covenant was being taught, you need to address uncleanness. Uncleanness is not just in the world. You need to address uncleanness as it shows itself in your life. And that was true even in a mother's experience, even in bringing a child into this world. But are we like that? Have we come to realize I need to address not just ritual impurities, not just ceremonial impurities, but are you addressing the sins in your life? Are you addressing the uncleanness of what you have done before a holy God? Do you recognize that you are unclean and that you need God's grace to be restored to his favor? That's what these... Uh, that's what these uh, rituals and these ceremonies are ultimately pointing to. They point beyond themselves to the, the deeper issue, which is their moral, their, their spiritual condition, the condition of their heart uh, and the need for cleansing. So there is the diagnosis uh, dealing with uh, the birth of a child and how it would make uh, a mother unclean. But most of this chapter is actually given to the idea of how she was to address it, the cleansing of her impurity. And you will notice that the text stresses her impurity extended for many days. But her, the way in which she addressed it was actually in a threefold manner. There were three stages, you might say, to how she was to address her uncleanness. The first stage there is mentioned in verses 2 and verse 5. It says in verse 2 uh, that if she, the woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Uh, as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. So there's this initial period of uh, seven days where she is unclean. She's not to come uh, to the tabernacle. Uh, and she is uh, to uh, 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 separate herself from what is deemed holy. She's not to come into contact with it uh, because of her ritual condition. If the mother had a boy, on the eighth day, her son would be circumcised. 
and you remember before we were saying that the eighth day is a significant thing. Uh, it, it is uh, oftentimes associated with important events, but it's also a sign of a new beginning. And so on the eighth day, uh, her son would be circumcised. He would, he would receive the sign of the covenant. He would receive the mark of being part of the people of God. Uh, a mark that bore witness to the promises of God about the blessing coming uh, to uh, ultimately the nations. But that act of circumcision also marked the end of her first stage of her own purification. The second stage uh, was a longer stage. It says in verses 3 and 5 uh, that uh, she would ha have a period of waiting. Uh, it says, and on the eighth day, uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. And she shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. Later on, it tells us that if she has a daughter, uh, that this would be uh, doubled, uh, that it would be two weeks instead of one week, and then it would be 66 days instead of 33 days, which raises the question, uh, why is there this difference uh, between if she has a male child uh, versus if she has a female child? Uh, we have to uh, say up front that it's not because of any negative view of women. Uh, the Bible is clear that God created us as male and female, uh, that he made us in the image of God, that we both bear the image of God. And so we are equal uh, in worth and in value in God's sight. We also have to bear in mind that the only explanation that Leviticus does mention is again the flow of blood. Some have speculated that perhaps uh, uh, the mother and the daughter uh, doubles it as both would ultimately have uh, the flow of blood issues. Uh, that may be, but it simply uh, doesn't say. Uh, we have to say at the end of the day, we don't know. Uh, if you asked an Israelite though, uh, in the Old Covenant, why do you circumcise your children on the eighth day? Why does it have to be the eighth day? Uh, an Israelite may not have been able to answer that. Uh, they may have just said, that's the way it is. Uh, that's uh, just the way that God commanded it. And the same principle applies here. We don't have to know why uh, these timetables were different. Uh, ultimately, uh, that is the way it was set up. So there was the first stage where it, an initial week until the child, the male child was circumcised. Then there was a period of a month or two months uh, afterwards when uh, there, the days of her purifying would take place, a, a period of uh, allowing her body to recover and, and to return to a normal state. But then there was a third stage, and this is mentioned in verses six through eight. It says, when the days of her purifying are completed, uh, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb for a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon uh, or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either a male or a female. So we see this third stage being mentioned here. Uh, and this is one of the few places in the Old Testament 
where it makes clear that women uh, could themselves make sacrifices at the tabernacle. Uh, and you notice here that the sacrifices offered by the mother were to be the same whether it was a boy or a girl. Clearly, the doubling of the time of the mother's uncleanness has nothing to do with a degraded view of women. But she is told uh, that she has to offer two offerings, a lamb for a burnt offering, or what we have called an ascension offering, and then a turtle dove for a sin offering, or what we have called a purification offering. Provisions were made, though, if the mother could not afford a lamb, that she was to bring two birds, uh, two, uh, either two turtle doves or two pigeons, and to present them as her offerings. But the result of this whole uh, offering was that it established the mother's fitness now to come to the tabernacle in worship. Her impurities had been addressed and her place in the community was established. Her, her ceremonial uncleanness was addressed in the offerings that were made according to God's word. And as a result, she could now know she is no longer unclean, she is clean. And being clean, she can come and worship at the tabernacle. This chapter may seem strange to us, but it's interesting that this very chapter is picked up and spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, Luke's gospel makes mention of this event in particular in Luke chapter 2. He tells us that Jesus was circumcised according to the law, and he was given the name Jesus, which means Savior, as the angel had instructed him. But then in verse 22, it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Mary was required by the law to offer an ascension offering and a purification offering after childbirth. And it tells us that she offered two birds. Uh, Luke wants us to be able to connect the dots, which means that Mary and Joseph were not in a position financially to offer a lamb as an ascension offering. Uh, so they were uh, financially in a more difficult situation. But more important than that is that Luke stresses three times that everything was done according to the law of the Lord to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, everything that was being communicated here about the purification, everything that was being communicated here about uncleanness and how to address it is now being associated with the new birth of Mary's child and in the, the life of Jesus himself. That once again we see life and death coming together. Uh, this time in Jesus we see the one who will ultimately come to provide purification. That ultimately in the fullness of time God sent his son into this world who was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons uh, uh, in Christ. Jesus came into this world to purify an unclean people, and he did that through his own death. Again, death is associated and connected with life. As was promised uh, uh, to the offspring of Abraham, he was cut off in order to open up and to secure a place of access in God's presence for those who believe. So we see in this old covenant ceremony something that showed 
that, that we are unclean. That uncleanness is part of our experience, but we need to learn how to address it. And we can only address it according to God's standards, according to God's revealed will, the, 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 the way in which God himself has established. And only in that way can we be purified in order to once again come into the presence of God. A mother who has a new child, whose, whose status now is unclean, at the end of the day is made clean and is once again welcomed into the presence uh, and, and as part of uh, the people of God. The mother's purity then is established on this uh, three uh, different stages. The initial purification that lasted a week or two weeks. Uh, the second purification lasting 33 or 66 days. And then finally a series of offerings for purification. Elsewhere in scripture we see occasions where people did things three times uh, to, com uh, to communicate thoroughness or completeness. You think of David. David and Jonathan, David bows to Jonathan three times, communicating uh, a completeness of his uh, honoring and bowing and uh, recognizing of Jonathan. You think about Elijah, who stretched himself upon the child three times. There was a, a thoroughness to his identification with the child uh, that he was coming to heal. The certainty of the mother's ability to stand in the tabernacle is here established on that three-stage process. What does all of this have to do with us today? It answers the question, how can we come? How can we know that we can come into God's presence? How can I know that I am deemed clean in God's sight when I know that God is holy and pure and I have come to a conviction that there is sin in my life that I need to address? When I know that I'm unclean because of what I have done, with my hands and with my mouth and with my actions and with my thoughts? How can I come and know God's acceptance? And the answer is ultimately through the Lord's offering. It is through the one that the Lord has appointed to purify and to allow us to ascend into God's presence. That Jesus came into this world to die, but more than that, to rise up and to ascend into heaven. And that in Christ I can know God's favor because God has raised him. God has ascended him into heaven and he is exalted at God's right hand. And he is now ruling over all things. He has fulfilled all righteousness. And so that in him I can know my uncleanness has been dealt with. And my place is secure. The people of Israel were being taught that impurity is not just something to avoid. It's something that has to be addressed. And we need to face that same thing as well. Not just that sin is something to avoid. I need to address my uncleanness. And it's only in Jesus that my uncleanness can be dealt with. That I can be made pure through the one who was cut off in order that I might have life on the basis of his death. 